0: Today on Foodstuffs,
1: Jess talks medicinal mushrooms
2: with a really fun guy.
0: And Brian speaks with a water treatment operator who just so happens to be his brother.
2: Even if you take the hard science view, um, probably everything is from outer space, but what we know (laughs) right now is that mushroom spores are very resilient and they can survive in atmospheres where other living beings might not. Because public
3: image is a huge portion of, in public confidence, we want to express to people how much we pour it into it we want you to drink the water we want you to have a good quality water we don't want anyone to get sick we don't want to harm anyone
2: my name is taro isocalkula i'm the founder of four sigmatic and you're listening to Food Stuff.
3: perfect
0: Welcome to Foodstuffs,
1: a podcast about food and culture
0: and their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker
1: and I'm Brian Goleman. Last week, we got to talking about communities that form around food.
0: In that instance, we were talking about people who have food as their means of mobilizing societal change. But I think the idea is relevant here as well. Right, Brian?
1: For sure. If you remember last season, we chatted with a woman named Megan Telpner. Uh, someone who was experiencing Crohn's, um, but through diet and lifestyle was able to overcome the diagnosis and turn that experience into a career.
0: Where she now helps a variety of people look to food to help with their health concerns.
1: That's right. But back to the food community, earlier this year, Megan introduced us to Taro Isacopola and the fun guys at Four Sigmatic.
0: Yeah, it sounds like these fun guys have a similar sense of humor to you. Yeah, well,
1: you know, I'm about to be a dad, so I got to work on my dad jokes, you
0: know? <laughs> right. So, when I heard that you had reached out to Tarot, I actually got really excited. Um, if you haven't picked up on it, Tarot and his colleagues work with mushrooms by trying to extol the virtues of their medicinal properties by sharing those with the masses. A few years back, my friends Al and Eva were the first to sort of pique my interest in mushrooms. So the thought of getting to ask someone about this weirdo alien type of life form that is all around us, actually, um, got my synapses firing. Wait, am I a dad now? What? That's not a dad (laughs) joke. Oh, my God. I don't get it. No.
1: (laughs) It's a soon-to-be-dad or dad thing. Come on, Jess, you wouldn't get it. Anyway, uh, you chatted with Taro about mushrooms, magic, and particle physics. I'm really interested to see how these are all related. Uh, Anyway, this is Taro Izacopala, founder of Four Sigmatic, telling Jess how he first fell for mushrooms.
0: Where did he? Brian and I are going to sip some coffee while you guys have a listen.
1: Okay, all right, for real. Well, here's Jess talking with Taro Izacopala.
2: I think... Me falling in love with wild berries was love at first sight. This was more like a, a gradual thing that happened and and especially when I got older and learned more about medicinal mushrooms, whereas growing up I more mostly was focused on culinary mushrooms. Right. Then kind of the world of medicinal mushrooms and mycelium really kind of blew my mind. So that happened gradually.
0: Um so once that did happen. It sounds like you were cooking with them as most people do throughout their lives. But, um, how did you start incorporating them in a medicinal way into your life?
2: From the medicinal mushrooms, I think cordyceps was my first love because see, I've had a problem working, uh, growing up with natural products is that I believe in them mm-hmm. and they work for me, but they take a lot of patience and lifestyle. A lot of natural remedies and, her- and herbal things take, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks before you start to notice them in your body.
0: Okay. Unlike
2: coffee, like you drink a cup of coffee, <laughs> you notice it immediately, right?
0: Yes.
2: So, um, so I've struggled with that a lot because it's when I talked the, about them to other people, they're like, uh, I don't notice anything. You know, I take it, but I don't really see a difference. Right. And cordyceps gave me such a d- significant difference. It was like this natural high the first time I took it. I took a hefty dosage, but still. Mm-hmm. And I was running. I did. I was uh, I was practicing long distance running. Um, so I did marathons and trail runs. And I was just on fire for the next few weeks <laughs> using cordyceps. And it was in smoothies. So I started out by using it first in smoothies.
0: Okay, so I presume cordyceps is the type of mushroom we're talking about here. Um, I, in thinking about this when I was speaking with Brian, was thinking of chaga. What other mushrooms are we talking about?
2: Um, There's a lot. I would say there's about 10 to 15 interesting medicinal mushrooms out of about 400 what are classified as medicinal mushrooms and, and out of about 1.5 million of combined different types of mushrooms that the estimates currently are. Mm -hmm. So um, those 10, 15 might be too much for most people, so it's good to start with, you know, top two, top four. Um, The most interesting one is Rishi, Mm -hmm. R-E-I-S-H-I. It's a Japanese name, um, sometimes known as the hemlock varnish mushroom as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the kind of the queen of the mushrooms. And then the other one you mentioned, Chaga, C-H-A-G-A, the kind of king of mushrooms. Those are probably interesting to start with. If you want to add the cordyceps I said, great for endurance, lion's mane, great for brain,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then we can go on. And shiitake is probably a thing that most people would have known. You right. can find grocery stores. And another one, somewhat culinary as well, is maitake or hen of the woods.
0: Yes, hen of the woods. I'm familiar with that one too. So there is a little bit of a crossover with the way that we would be more familiar with consuming mushrooms. But are all of these available to be eaten in a normal way? Like could I prepare them in butter and enjoy or not so much?
2: Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> couple things you need just need to keep in mind. So first of all, mushrooms are not bi-available raw. Mm-hmm. So even the culinary mushrooms you should cook in butter. And this will unlock a lot of the fat soluble compounds. And in certain culinary mushrooms, it's gonna reduce toxicity. Right. But so cooking is important. If you can cook them, then yeah, it's it's good. Um, So some of these are, the mouthfeel is more closer to a lot of culinary mushrooms that we talked about, like maitake and shiitake mm-hmm. have that like kind of fleshy feel.
0: Yeah, uh, there are th- other things
2: like chicken of the woods. Yes, uh, um, <laughs> and and lion's mane as well, like that I mentioned, great for the brain is is also very culinary wise very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas others are this category called polybores. These are like. um, little sturdy tree mushrooms that have this like strong they're kind of they're inedible so these ones you have to cook and use the liquid think of like making a bone broth right so instead of eating the actual fruiting body um you're going to eat the liquid extracted from it so so that's the kind of difference
0: right and so almost you compared it to boning broth but basically just boiling or simmering this thing for the longest time and then eventually it's distilled down into this way that you can consume it a little bit more easily. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I want to just kind of nerd out on mushrooms for a minute and just talk about the beauty that is a mushroom and what makes them so special. Um, They are, I mean, I've heard you joke about them in videos. Uh, People think that they're an alien species, but... They basically are unlike any other um, edible thing or, or consumable thing that we are more familiar with as far as agriculture and, and growing. Can you just talk about mycelium and talk about, I guess the question for me is, at this point in time, you can't farm mushrooms, that, the mushrooms that we're talking about. Is that right?
2: You can so shiitakes, you can. Right. the you can. Mm-hmm. Some of them are tricky. Chaga mm-hmm. is probably the trickiest. But even if there's a couple of people in my native country of Finland who are now starting it, it is harder. It is a different process. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, the farming is not like monocrop farming. It's exactly. mean you going to a forest and you're adding the mushroom spores into certain trees. Um. So it is a little bit more of a, I guess, more of, a natural way of farming, if you may, because, mm-hmm. like, you're still in the elements. Right, because you're looking of, for these yeah. I-
0: ideal conditions, essentially, Correct. Right?
2: Um, but, yeah, if we start from the beginning, um, something that we know that mushrooms are found from every part of our atmosphere,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they're extremophiles so they can live in Antarctica and Sahara, and they can survive a lot of things. Um, how well they can survive, I think, and give a couple really short examples. They were the first thing to come from the sea to the dry land, 1.3 billion years mm-hmm. ago. And for the first 600 years, 600 million years, the nothing else grew except fungi. And they were eating rocks. So they were munching on rocks. Wow. And so they are really, they're, they're quite the survivors. Yeah. And, resilient. They, they, and they create the top soil. So about 25% of the world's biomass is, is fungi. Mm-hmm.
0: That's
2: nice. And, uh, yeah, there's, multiple factors how they're um, important for the environment but some people say that they're not from this this planet <laughs> funny enough I think we're all part of a little bit of a stardust because it's if you be, even if you believe in hard sciences you have to believe in particle physics and if you believe in particle physics you will understand that You know, part of our both of our bodies. Maybe the zinc is from another galaxy originally. But
0: Mm -hmm. uh so
2: so so even if you uh even if you take the hard science view, um probably everything is from outer space. But what we know (laughs) right now is that mushroom spores are very resilient and they can survive in atmospheres where other living beings might not. So
0: pretty magical. Um just speaking about science you take a lot of pains like in the uh, accompanying literature that goes along with your products to kind of hit home the fact that we actually have a lot of scientific data around the health properties of the mushrooms why is that so important to you
2: um that's actually a thing that we struggle with um we're trying to like it's like a combination. First, the easy answer is that we like it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. easy to do something you like. But also the other thing is that a lot of people are skeptic and for a good reason, because there's so many, you know, quote unquote, snake oil mm-hmm. things out there. Every, every, every new berry is the super berry. And, um, and our company name for Sigmatic means that we're focused on the 50 most evident-based foods in the world. And out of those top 50... Things that would have the most amount of Western research. Um, funny enough, a lot of them are mushrooms, and also funny enough, a lot of them are very sacred herbs, mushrooms, and and foods um, in a lot of indigenous cultures. So it's funny how indigenous culture would have like intuitively known mm-hmm. what is the sacred thing, or also turns out to be very nutrient dense. So right.
0: things that know, have been kind of growing along with us, or coming along for the ride for centuries and and millennia at this point. Very cool. So what drives you then and what makes you know that this is something worthwhile as a business for you to undertake?
2: Well, that's a very good question. I mean, I've definitely asked that question (laughs) for myself multiple times. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose? All that stuff, right? Right. Sometimes you go deep, sometimes you keep it casual, but that's (laughs) that's a common theme. And how I've explained it to myself, fully acknowledging that we all make stories to ourselves as well, is that it's a kingdom. It's not like a subgroup of anything. It's something vital. Both science and history will show the importance. I felt it in my own body, both with cordyceps and other things. Um, I've seen it now over the last you know, 11 years with mushrooms, that how they've changed other people's life. I've met tens of thousands of people whose life literally have changed with the this thing that is still so overlooked mm-hmm. and still like almost every person I meet despite all these positive experiences have these misconceptions so I felt like working for mushrooms is better than working for uh, you know some tech company or the government so I'll rather dedicate my life a little bit to working for this kingdom and at least I mean I'm not showing my whole life but right now it's been fun and as long as it's fun and I, f- I get you know
0: there's forward so momentum I-
2: yeah it's Mm -hmm. fun you know it's it's all good but i mean i i guess my best answer is i haven't found anything yet that would be more worthwhile absolutely um
0: thank you so much tara i really appreciate speaking with you and uh yeah we'll we'll link everyone up to the site and to the mushroom academy
2: thanks for having me on
0: (laughs) all right cheers thank you that was jess in conversation
1: with tara is of four sigmatic yeah what do you think of mushrooms, Brian? Uh, my mind has been blown.
0: <laughs> really? Yes. Do you ever have occasion to really think about it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, partially through Megan, I was sort of introduced through to uh, uh, medicinal mushrooms and like mostly shaga and and reishi. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the king
0: I, and queen. That's right. And I <laughs> happened
1: to come across—is it reishi or Chicago, uh, shaga, the, the big one with the, that's very dark? color, sort of like a dark brown reddish color.
0: Yeah, I know chaga, and that is not chaga. Okay, so, so Rishi. Yeah.
1: I found that up north in Algonquin Park camping one year. Mm. Brought it back, made sure that it was actually what it was. This is an important
0: factor, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to, uh, what was it, into the wild myself? Yeah.
0: Uh, oh.
1: um, but uh, brought it back and had like a nice healing, immune boosting uh, tea for you know, a fall and winter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They last a really long time because that's the other thing. They're massive most Mm -hmm. of the time when you find them from what I understand, probably not across the board, but the ones that I've seen are like chunks of a bigger thing.
1: Yeah. This thing was huge. This thing was, was quite big. Like Mm -hmm. it was like, uh, half the size of a Frisbee. (laughs)
0: That is such a weird metric, but, but helpful. Thank
1: you. (laughs) I have had some experience with, uh, uh, mushrooms, but, Man, this guy he really did blow my mind. I had no idea how uh, pervasive they were in our
0: all environment around us. And yeah, universe. and just that fact about, you know, they make up however many percent? 25% of 25% of, of the topsoil. Yeah, the topsoil of the world, which you just don't think about it. And I guess that's the whole thing that Al and Eva, like I was saying earlier, Al and Eva kind of explaining how little we do know because they operate so differently than all these other species that we're more familiar with, with like roots and, you know, they're all isolated from one another. Um, he offhandedly referred to mycelium. Right. Um, what, what is mycelium? Mycelium is basically... This is going to be clunky, and people who know more than me (laughs) might be a little frustrated. But essentially, you can think of it as a root system, except the difference is that they all interconnect. Like, there's this—actually, the biggest life form in the world is actually mycelium and fungi and mushrooms um, in Oregon, which is pretty amazing. Like,
1: it's a singular— Exactly, they're all
0: interconnected, and they. So he also offhandedly referred referred to the fruiting body, and that's what I would be eating when I'm eating a hen of the woods mushroom. What people think
1: of as the mushroom. Yeah, exactly. But there's this whole underground exactly,
0: and so like an apple on a tree is the fruiting body that's the part that we consume but obviously there's so much more to the plant right um so in the same way with a mushroom the underground network the mycelium is um yeah interconnected weaving between all of these root systems um there's also this huge area of california that's similar got it's just like hectares and hectares and hectares i'm Sorry that I don't have that number on hand, Um, but just absolutely massive, like a whole forest with one single underground system. Um, There's lots of references to it being similar to the internet. Again, this is like, it just is so captivating. This is all of the wacky, otherworldly, magical, fantastical elements of these. species is yeah. it a species is it a plant i don't even feel comfortable saying either of those words it's a mushroom it's, it's a mushroom its own thing it's its own thing but um there's all these studies that kind of prove that because there are all these different fruiting bodies and um there's a lot of symbiosis that can occur between fungi and like a tree or a bush or or that sort of thing right. wherein the um structure of the of the root system is helpful to the mushroom and then the mushroom is helpful to the plant by like right, bringing it more water and
1: like mushrooms on the sides of trees and things like yeah that that's up, true right? too yeah and he was um, even talking about that that like the sort of like quote-unquote like farming of mushrooms sometimes includes like planting them or yeah whatever, again clunky reference but like they're sort of planting them on on trees and exactly them grow because they way.
0: need a really densely rich um right. soil base in order to flourish because yeah it's the same with um i think of fiddleheads and like all these other types of species ramps that we forage are really really hard to make uh like to farm those in a in a meaningful way, like in the way that you would think of farming.
1: Right, like those sort of monoculture farming exactly. Or it is, right? Where yeah. you're planting row upon row of whatever yeah, greenhouse or look like potatoes that. or something like that. No, it just, it's just doesn't exist. Your like
0: that. your role as quote unquote farmer is understanding what to look for in an ideal space. So, same sort of idea with that.
1: Very cool. And the seemingly, like the organism that will, you know, people always talk about the end of the world which really means like the end of our world <laughs> <end> of us, <laughs> human beings and yes. like what will exist will it be fruit flies will it be cockroaches it's well, almost certainly going to be yeah. mushrooms they could eat
0: rocks my god <laughs> well, they've been around for so long right? yeah no it's magical very
1: cool there's something real there and i think it maybe is a kind of thing where you need to experience yourself which is I think so. what we've been doing over the last <laughs> uh, few minutes. Yes, I mean experiencing uh, some, some mushroom, mushroom, mushroom
0: coffee. coffee. That's right. We are drinking the cordyceps and chaga stay awake mushroom coffee mix from For Sigmatic.
1: Which is basically just those extracts of mushrooms and coffee. That's right. That's that's yeah, all it is. Yeah, the ingredients. What are, did you think?
0: Well, you react because you had a. <laughs> an interesting first well
1: reaction. i thought like i i smelled it at first before i put in my my milk and sugar i smelled it tasted. it i thought it was a little earthy <laughs> i thought when i tasted it black i mean i don't normally drink black coffee so i'm uh, i was take gonna take that for what it, you will yeah exactly but i thought i thought it was a little mushroomy
0: well just for a point of reference on the side it says it has a little index of, Going from least shroomy to most shroomy out of five, we're at three and a half. So, this yeah. is a shroomier one. I did opt for that. Yeah. Um, but
1: honestly, I put in my milk and sugar and it tasted nice. It gave me a little kick. I'm sure that was <laughs> the, the coffee. coffee as and well. to be but, fair, yeah. we're, we've had
0: one of these. Yes. I can't really speak to the um, energizing qualities of cordyceps. Uh, but I definitely, what I was feeling like taste wise, mm-hmm. Not too too far off, especially once you kind of dress it the way you would n- like normally drink your coffee. Yeah. But But um, if if anything, it was the smell of it that made it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I something like you could it.
1: easily get used to, I think, and and like quite quite a bit. I
0: don't know. I'm curious. I have a few more packets to get through here. And yeah, I'm, that's right. We should check in there's... on you next episode after you. <laughs> if you notice that I mall. have twice as much energy. Yes. Let's just go ahead and assume that it's the cordyceps.
1: Okay, so from one of the oldest uh, organisms...
0: Yeah. You On
1: our... On one our of level. the only...
0: So we're going from the oldest organism, the first to leave the water, as Taro says, to the water itself.
1: So just to set this up, last weekend was... A busy one for the Goleman family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had my parents and my brother and his family in town for Simmel's Baby Shower. Yes. (laughs) And there was lots of barbecuing, lots of my brother looking over my shoulder, making sure that I was doing everything properly.
0: As an older brother has wanted to do.
1: Absolutely. And just to understand a little bit about Steve, my brother, he's that kind of person we always say, like, he's pulling your leg pretty much all of the time like th- that was always the joke how can you tell if steve's pulling your leg is are his lips moving mm-hmm. basically that's what he's like so over the weekend i actually caught him talking with simil about water treatment which is what he does and i realized that there's actually a large amount of information inside this person that is <laughs> non-bullshit <untrue>. information non-bullshit. <laughs> Um, and he's just, you know, he's been doing this for over 15 years, so he's actually very well informed to speak about, uh, water, which is something that we think a lot about. I think a lot about, um, it gets a lot of attention in the food world and in social media and that conversation around food, I think has sort of generally been in the public consciousness since, uh, May of 2000, which was when, The E. coli outbreak occurred in Walkerton, Ontario, Mm, which uh, unfortunately uh, caused thousands of residents to become ill and killed seven people. And about a year later was when Steve started as a water and wastewater operator. So his entire work experience has sort of been heavily informed and based around the post-Walkerton world of water treatment.
0: Right. Well, let's hear a serious conversation with Steve Goman, water and wastewater operator.
3: We had a a large event in Walkerton where people got sick and some people died. And it infected the entire community and the entire province's faith in municipal drinking water, city drinking water. So there was a a lot of legislation, regulation change, um, and uh, operators definitely felt the pressure being put on. The next process that happened, there were a lot of grandfathered operators who had obtained their license years ago, uh, were now having to go back and rewrite exams. Uh, as a result, there was all sort of a mass exodus from the field. A lot of operators just did not want to go back to school to do a job they've been doing for 20, 25 years. Right. Uh, so some of them were taking. If you had 30 years in, you were you were retiring. From a technology perspective, obviously
1: technology has hap- has exploded over the same period of the same last maybe 15 or 20 years. What role have you seen uh, technology playing in the sort of evolution of how we we treat water, or maybe even how we're m- we're
3: monitoring that system we're operating? Well, treatment processes have have changed. So in the last 15 years, you've seen many more um, membrane technologies, and which is um, relatively new on the scene for water treatment. And definitely, there's a lot of computer technology monitoring, monitor, computerized monitoring. So instead of having an individual sitting on a control panel, watching dials and numbers, you have a computer monitoring at 24-7. And once the... Once, uh, let's say, chlorine dosage goes above or below a certain point, alarm would be triggered, possibly automatically shutting down processes, and definitely staff being notified, operators being notified. So that a lot of that existed pre-Walkerton, but I think it put a lot more emphasis on it. The big change would have been um, in the legislation, which forced uh, compliance to the new. New quality standards, so I think it was guideline B13 or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was yeah. chemically-assisted filtration or better. So, for instance, where I worked, it was basically we drew out of the lake, we added a little bit of chlorine, that was it. And then under the new post-Walkerton rules, that, um, that, that, that was no longer acceptable. So is there a, like a provincial
1: or even a national standard for water purity or, 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 or water treatment
3: yeah and i would that those levels there would have been ontario drinking water standards and objectives previously it was objectives now they're standards yeah a lot of testing goes into drinking water and i would say i would say much more beyond what goes into bottled water right so if you're worried about when you talk about the purity of water uh i think you can look at drinking water comes out of your tap is being held to a much higher standard than bottled water. Bottled water is a, considered a food product. More or less, um, you know, um, it, the the testing is far less stringent, far less stringent on that, on the, on the bottled water than on the, the drinking water. bottled
1: water is everywhere. It's, it's very popular. Has that had much of an impact on, on what you guys are doing or even
3: the demands that you have? My my take on bottled water is that um, people have lost confidence in drinking water, what comes out of the tap, for several reasons, and and the other f- reason for the increase is convenience. Uh, it's it's a lot it's a lot more portable. You can take it with you. There is some false confidence in that it become, came from a bottle. It's it has to be safe. Right. But, um, there can the problems associated with bottled water? Has it been sitting on the shelf for five months or five years?
1: Mm-hmm. Just watch your foot on the stand because when it, you hit it, it'll make a sound up here that I can't get rid of.
3: Um, yeah, like that.
1: Like that. <laughs> exactly like this. Yeah.
3: Okay, I'll stop doing that. So chlorine
1: is is something that people are like. Again, this is a uh, chemical that people are all over this. Why why do we have why do we have chlorine? What is your response to
3: sort of the negative publicity uh surrounding chlorine i th- I think there's a lot of negative press around chlorine because um, the smell and we right. and we use it in our laundry and it and it ruins our clothes, potentially. and it is a harsh chemical when you're using it in its undiluted form. However, in drinking water, when it's applied appropriately. And this, the level of chlorine is very strictly monitored, and how we dose it. So the amount of chlorine we can use, and how we apply it, and even the amount of time, and pH, and temperature, and flow, it all go, all factor into how much chlorine we use. Um, so that science is very much proven that chlorine is an effective way to make a drinking water source safe. You know, over 15 years ago, there was a lot of bad press, a lot of bad media about chlorine similar today with fluoride and then council was getting complaints and so I think there was a lot of public opinion and on the operator's level there was not a probably a ton, in in the case of Walker and there was not a ton of information uh, um, that he had or a training that the operator had to to make a uh, the correct decision and unfortunately and I can't speak to exactly the chain of events but it ended up that there was no chlorine in one of the wells um, and as a result, uh, a whole community suffered for it. And I, f- I think that uh, it's tragic. I see that with Florida now. You have a lot of bad press about Florida. You got a lot of people who are not medical professionals swaying public opinion. Um, that concerns me. Um, that that's not the way this industry should be regulated. Should be change should be brought about. By people in the know? I yeah, think. people whose, this is their field of study. Right. And then presenting the facts. And then and then it's ultimately going to be council and uh, the community voting. I think that's a much yeah. better way. So
1: if you don't like the smell or taste or, well, basically those two things of, of chlorine and it's in your water, you can't get rid of it because that's your supply. But you don't want to go to a bottled water kind of system or a delivery water system which has their own sort of negative uh impacts um what can you do to get get rid of that that smell or that that taste that maybe some people don't like so
3: yeah what, what i would offer someone who doesn't like chlorine and um wants a quick and easy way to reduce it or eliminate it from the water supply is to run the water till it comes cold fill up a pitcher put it on the counter for several hours uh, just like when you open a can of pop, all the all the carbonation will escape. Right. Much like it would in when you fill up a jug of water with with uh, water with chlorine in it, the chlorine would want to escape. And, so it'll evaporate. Um. Uh, it's, I don't believe that's the right term, but yeah, it would escape. It would. i the science. I I
1: was not good on the the science terms. Yeah. It would. So. It would.
3: It would definitely dissipate. It would dissipate. That's go. the term everyone would use. And then um, obviously storing water at room temperature in an open container on your counter is not the safest way because things can enter it. Right. And the warmer your water is, the more chance of bacterial growth, so I would suggest you put it in the fridge. If you want to go a step further, you could have something like a Brita filter, which is, you know.
1: Which is basically what a carbon filter? Yeah,
3: at the, at, the, at the, not that I'm trying to endorse one brand over the other, but yeah. the method is um, you're using activated carbon and activated carbon removes all sorts of organics
1: now what about you you got you have two young kids you have a family how concerned are you about this and do you have an in-home system
3: no I just drink the tap water I always drink the tap water the big the message I would tell people is is if you turn on the tap and you get a smell or an odor that's not normal it's probably because you haven't run the water to get fresh water and we're constantly like a lot of the big portion of it if, if you were all you see us on the street flushing water made some flushing hydrants whereas we're, so we're uh, attempting to flush out any stagnant pockets of water okay yeah so when you turn on the tap at home and the water is warm i would suggest you run it for 30 seconds till it comes cold and that, that's about the extent of what i would tell a family member is in my house is if run the tap till it comes cold and drink the cold water but there, i have no absolutely no concern with drinking the tap water um,
1: but you're in, also up north. You're, you're just north of Parry Sound and your source yeah. is, is Georgian Bays, yeah. right? Yes. We're, we are, we're in the GTA. We pull our water from um, Lake Ontario. How different is uh, that source and how different is that impact on, on water treatment here
3: versus where you are? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think this, this speaks to the other side of the equation of Walkerton as came out as source protection. So what you dump down the storing drain ends up in the lake and if you dump antifreeze or oil or battery acid oh, those contaminants are not accounted for in the treatment process We're, it was not designed to remove pharmaceutical chemicals the wastewater process as well it was not designed to remove those those kind of compounds and chemicals and that has come up in a, a large portion of the discussion of water and wastewater operators is these processes that we use were designed to work with relatively clean water so as there's new uh sources of contamination coming in whether it be oil or more re- recently there's been a more of a natural contaminant called if you might know a blue green algae rooms right. um lake ontario has had some blue green algae blooms but heavily
1: um, in like lake erie right? lake
3: erie even up north in the middle of nowhere you can get blue green algae so it's not let's say um uh, directly something that's been dumped down a storm sewer. This, this is a naturally occurring right. algae, and when it spills its cell contents, uh, uh, the treatment process is, is not originally designed to, to uh, remove that, so we've had to adapt strategy, existing strategies and processes to, to deal with that. And, but it is definitely a, um, a hot topic in water and wastewater water treatment especially. Um, That's
1: interesting. That it is as much the natural, new natural contaminants as it, as it is, or maybe not as much, but that is a concern as well as sort of like whatever were our sort of man manmade uh, contaminants. Uh, I
3: yeah, uh, I think it goes to. I think it goes to speak to, we live in this environment and we've lived here f- for what we think is quite a long time. We think we have a good understanding, but we're. I think a lot of it is we're just scratching the surface as far as. How much we actually know about the environment we live in and um, uh, how we manage that. I think a lot of that is yet to be determined, yet to be understood fully.
1: So maybe a final message from you to the concerned water drinkers of uh, Ontario, Canada, Greater Toronto Area.
3: I think it's great that people are interested in their health. If you don't have your health, um, we know that uh, it, life can become very difficult. So I think there's, I would say don't chill out on trying to keep your health up, but maybe temper that with um, as much factual information as possible.
1: Including this podcast right now.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely should be number 11 on your list of.
1: (laughs) On your list of
3: 12? On your list of 10 things.
1: (laughs) All right, thanks. Steve Goldman is a level two water and wastewater operator.
0: I don't think I've really had to think about water that much before. It's kind (laughs) of cool. No, I'm like thankful for it.
1: Yeah, it was, like I say, sort of it dawned on me as I heard him talking to to Simmel like, oh, right. He knows stuff about this. (laughs) And that's interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, One of the things that he mentioned to me later was how... One thing that he thinks that their industry or or water treatment as a utility um, in Ontario or probably in Canada can do better is communicate back with the public, mm-hmm. like mostly through social media, because a lot of these things happen. And social media is like this, right? There is some report or somebody's thought gets out there um, right. and it makes its rounds and everyone gets up in arms about Chloride, gets a bit or twisted, chlorine yeah. or whatever, right? And if that water utility is not a part of that conversation, yeah, exactly. Then and all your information is, is really one side of it, exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. you know, it might be true, it might not be, but it's, I thought that was interesting to hear sort of the other side of that. And I think hopefully that's something that they can improve on and maybe will stop us from, you know, yeah, uh, relying on bottled water or, um,
0: Disassociating ourselves from the actual bodies of water from whence this comes. Like, mm -hmm. it isn't out of a factory. It's out of a lake. And that lake also receives everything from the sewer and everything that you flush down the toilet. And you are... Yeah. playing a part in that. Yeah, it's we a have cycle. a responsibility to, a to play. I
1: mean, they have a responsibility as well to like adapt to the new contaminants that are put in the water. Yes, but, <laughs> Exactly. But, and, you know, when you start to hear things like, oh, uh, what about antifreeze? What about fuels? What about oils and things like that? You know, that's concerning, let alone the sort of natural contaminants that are, that are out there. Yeah. And that's something that they have to constantly sort of adapt to. But we as citizens also have mm-hmm. to sort of play a part in that and realize that, you know, what we put down the drain, you know, we might get some of that back uh, in the other end.
0: Yeah, I hope not. Stop it. Everyone stop. out there, stop it.
1: And that was another episode of Foodstuffs.
0: Our second last episode of the season. Oh, man. Crazy
1: crazy crazy crazy
0: i have to fess up
1: okay i've
0: been a bad girl because i've been promising extra stuff yes this we've is been true. talking about it like it's happening for sure um i mean
1: it is happening it is happening 100
0: percent, uh, it is happening for sure it's just the timeline's a little different than i expected that's right they uh, will be released <laughs>
1: um once we're done so we have uh one more episode to go and then while we're off
0: Yes, we are taking a little break. There is going to be an extra Goman in the mix, uh, starting in about a month's time. So, during our extended break, we don't want to be without you, and hopefully, you don't want to be without us. So, of we'll put course. up extra stuffs um, dotted in and around there, and you'll hear more from Vanessa. You will hear the perspective of a food courier from Fudora, but basically. Uh, We have extended cuts coming your way and bonus material uh, to go with. Excellent. Over the summer and into the early fall before we come back. Great. Yeah.
1: So thanks for this week.
0: Yes. um, Thank you so much to Megan Telpner for being such a good friend to the podcast and hooking us up with Taro Isacopola. Also, thank you to Taro Isacopola um, for chatting with me over Skype from beautiful Santa Monica, California. Um, We will be posting information about where to look at their pretty pictures and learn more about mushrooms and all that fun stuff.
1: Thanks to my brother, Steve Goman. You may not be pretty. You may not be smart. You may not be the favorite son. (laughs) But you know your water.
0: (laughs) You know some things about water. Thank you, Steve. Um, Thanks, as always, to CIUT, Ken Stower, Eric Betlam, Sam Petit. We are always appreciative of... Being able to use Studio 2.
1: So thankful. And thankful to you for listening. Yes, thank you. You can find us online at Foodstuffs Life on Instagram and what's the other one?
0: Twitter, Homie. Twitter. You wouldn't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook by looking up Foodstuffs. We are on the web at Foodstuffs.life. Um, you can download the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcast app that you have access to and you can always stream us on SoundCloud. See you in two weeks. I'm Jessica Walker.
1: And I'm Brian Goldman.
0: Boom.
3: microphone. Ryan, hurry up. I have to use the bathroom.